Football is back, and Domino's Hawaii couldn't be more excited. Our community has been through a lot this year, and so to show our appreciation for all your efforts and sacrifice, we'd like to do our part in helping you enjoy the games by offering large specialty pizzas for $15.99 and our new buffalo wings for $5.99. Just log on to the Domino's Hawaii website or app, and remember, while you watch your favorite team, you can be assured that our team continues to make your health and safety a top priority. Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? It is episode number 56 for the Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helly podcast. Uh, and it's one of our favorites because uh, we have one of our favorite guests. We have Matt Humans of the Vegas Stats and Information Network. He's the editor there. You see him sometimes making cameos on ESPN. One of those experts when it comes to sports betting and gambling and handicapping. And so uh, he always drops some knowledge on us. And of course, there's no better time to talk with him than Super Bowl week. Uh, of course, Super Bowl 55 being played in Tampa. You have uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks taking on uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. We'll get to that here uh, in just a little bit as far as the football matchup. But uh, because it's Super Bowl week, we like to warm things up here on this podcast uh, with our little pregame topic. What's your favorite Super Bowl prop bet this year? There are some wacky ones out there. Oh, yeah. This is where we get wacky, right? We get mad on for the hard-hitting, like, actual <laughs> worthwhile bets. But we all, the layman, right? We love the weird stuff. Uh, so my favorite, whose nostrils will we see first, right? Because everybody's supposed to be masked up on the sidelines. Are we going to see Andy Reid's or Bruce Arians? Andy Reid, about 3-2, to two, so plus 150. Uh, Bruce Arians, a little better value at plus 200, 2-1 two to one there. Uh, because we know both of those, they're old coaches, right? They struggle a little bit with the whole mask procedure thing. We know Andy was rocking just just the visor early on. So whose nostrils are we going to see first? That's that's my favorite problem. That's it, that's important week. stuff. I, I will be watching closely for that. Uh, the one I like is just because it's it would be one of our dream accomplishments, right? Is to be in the broadcast booth for a Super Bowl and among the prop bets, the primary color of both Jim Nance's these are separate bets of Jim Nance's tie and also the primary color of Tony Romo's tie. Uh, and just so you know, blue is plus 300, uh, and it trickles all the way down to purple being plus 800. Uh, as for Tony Romo, blue is plus 200, and that one moves at the other end of the spectrum. Gray is plus 900, and it just strikes me that if I were one of those guys, I would tell one of my friends to lay whatever they possibly could on this prop bet, whatever the limit, whatever the max is, and I would wear that appropriate color tie and we would make the easiest money ever made in the history of our lives like that's amazing to me that that's even an option right right exactly in a lot of those quirky ones like that where you can kind of get some inside info there's usually a pretty low maximum yeah. you know you can't really wager a lot of money on that but if you find a lot of guys right if you have a lot of friends who put in all the small bets, those add up pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, especially I mean, if you're going not... at the longest odds color, right? Exactly. It's like, I'm, I'm going purple here for this Super there you Bowl go. Orange. <laughs> Throwback Buccaneers colors. <laughs> Once again, we want to welcome you to the show. And, and again, we want to hype up our uh, guest, Matt Humans, Vegas Stats and Information Network editor. You can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Humans. We'll get to him in just a little bit. But it is game time. And, of course, it is Super Bowl 55 week. Uh, we're actually going to get into our picks with Matt as to uh, how we see this Super Bowl turning out, uh, maybe a little bit more associated with the betting line. Uh, so maybe just give me uh, what you're most looking forward to here in this game, the storyline that you think is maybe going to play most importantly to the ultimate outcome. I, I really think it's going to come down to the trenches. I, I really think it's going to come down to – what we see up front, particularly when, uh, excuse me, when the Chiefs have the ball. And we get into the little bit with Matt Humans, right? We talked a bit about it with last week's guest and Brian Baldinger. But I really think it's going to come down to that pass rush for Tampa Bay and, and whether or not they can really wreak havoc, right? That Tampa Bay defense has forced a lot of turnovers in their three wins so far here in the postseason. And what the Chiefs do is they don't really turn over the ball that much, right? Patrick Mahomes takes care of the football. Uh, we've seen them have some gaffes for sure, such as the muff punt by McCole Hardman in the AFC Championship game. But they, they overcome that, right? 
And so the Chiefs who don't punt, they really don't punt at all. You got to steal possessions from them in this type of game. And if that defense can force some turnovers, whether it's forcing Mahomes into errant throws for interceptions, whether it's coming up with sacks, coming up with sack fumbles and, and the like, right? Jason Beer-Paul, he's been in these type of games when he was with, with the New York Giants, right? And he was chasing the guy who's actually his quarterback now and Tom Brady and running after him and, and, and kind of winning the game from the defensive fronts on a lot of those Giants teams. It's kind of got to be the similar recipe, I think, for the Bucs. They got to get after it against a really depleted offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs that are basically down, you know, 60% of their starters up front. And they're going to be very thin uh, trying to protect Patrick Mahomes. And I, and I expect them to really come out and, and kind of pepper the ball around quick throws, right? Get the ball out of the hands of Patrick Mahomes, really take some pressure off of that offensive line. But if that defensive front can force some turnovers, this will get really interesting for the Bucs. The difference is, of course, when JPP was chasing down Tom Brady, Tom Brady couldn't move, even in the prime of his career, like Patrick Mahomes can, right? He is a guy who is much more elusive, and he's going to have to be. Uh, I think the irony there is that's usually when Patrick Mahomes is at his best, when he is on the move. Uh, and so, yeah, I agree with you. They, they got to apply pressure, but they also have to somehow contain him. Uh, and I think you have, you know, between Shaq Barrett and, and – uh, JPP, you also have a couple of you know the best linebackers really in the NFC, at least in Devin White and Levante David. Like those are guys that are playmakers, and 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 yeah, I think there's a shot that Tampa Bay can cause some havoc defensively. What's funny about this matchup, though, for real to me is, and we get into it a little bit with Matt, is, is just the fact that here's Tom Brady, right, uh, at 43 years of age, he's playing in his 10th Super Bowl. He will now have played in 18% of all of the Super Bowls, all right, to this point. Uh, that's just crazy. Uh, and, of course, it is his 10th Super Bowl in his first year with another franchise. And, of course, that franchise happens to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, of course, the Super Bowl is being held where in Tampa this year. I mean, it just seems like the stars and the planets are aligning here to give Tom Brady as much of an advantage as possible. And so the Kansas City Chiefs are going to have to overcome all of that. And I know that that's kind of an existential way to look at this thing. But it, to me, it, it strikes me as that. Like, KC's not just going to have to overcome some of the strategic X's and O's and execution factors and challenges, but almost like that karmic challenge that presents itself in Tom Brady. So I'm excited to see if, if Patrick Mahomes can overcome that. If there is a quarterback that can, it is most certainly him. He is the most talented thing I think I've ever seen at the quarterback position, whereas Tom Brady and his longevity and his resume uh, combined create the greatest career that's ever been at the quarterback position. So yeah, the most exciting part to me is probably the, the thing that's most exciting to 99% of the people who are going to be watching the game on Sunday. And that's the quarterback matchup. It's Tom Brady versus Pat Mahomes. It wasn't Super Bowl 55 this past weekend. It was Hula Bowl 64. Yes, the Hula Bowl began in 1946, but there was an 11-year hiatus prior to its return last year. So in this iteration of the game, which was once again renewed this past Sunday, Rex Ryan's Kai team defeated Mike Singletary's Ina team 15-13 in what may have been the final game played at Aloha Stadium. Of course, there's been a moratorium put on the scheduling of future events at Aloha Stadium. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, your takeaways from the Hula Bowl. You were on the call with me last year on CBS Sports Network, so you have a close connection to this event. Uh, I wanted to get your take on, if that was the last football game played at Aloha Stadium, what'd you make of it? Yeah, at least there was a little drama right at the end. It had a little bit of excitement and and I think that was obviously for us, especially in Hawaii, the main takeaway is the fact that that, that could have been the final Aloha, which is, it still hasn't sunk in just yet, right? And I don't think it will until we see maybe the University of Hawaii playing games at a different location finally, or, or they finally take the wrecking ball to that old structure there in Halava, right? But the game is, I think, gaining traction, right? I, I think Rex Ryan, he's in it to win it, man. And and now that he's 2-0, and right, he's got to keep it running back. And, and the dude loves Hawaii. And I think his, not only his name, but his enthusiasm to, for the game, for the location and everything that comes with it, I think it adds a lot of credibility to the game. And I, and I think it has, I think I thought the overall talent level was a bit higher than it was mm -hmm. last season, you know, especially at the quarterback position with guys like KJ Costello uh, out of Mississippi state by way of, of Stanford, obviously. And then Memphis is Brady white who, who threw it all over the lot in his time 
there in the AAC. And then the Hawaii connection, right? The Tangutui Lima obviously getting the start, captaining his team, uh, playing at center, both guard position. But then Rico Bussi, who obviously is going to gain a little bit more of the headlines as the skill player. But nice showing, right? It, with the four catches, the 60-plus yards, uh, leading the game in, in that respect. And he's a guy who I think honestly underwhelmed a little bit because of all of his production he had when he was at North Texas and coming over as a transfer. And I, and I think he and a lot of people expected maybe more production numbers-wise you know, obviously he was an integral part of that offense, but you saw the flashes, right? You saw the flashes of why there was so much excitement for him. He's got the frame. He's got the size. He's got the hands. Had a couple of tough catches, right? One over the middle, kind of on that deep slant. So I thought he was a guy that, you know, maybe caught some eyes after a year that was a little quiet for his standards and a guy who obviously decided to forego what could have been another year at the University of Hawaii to go and take his chances and try to make the leap. Yeah, I agree with you. Rico Bussi looked really good. And I think this was a great opportunity for him, as it was for a lot of other players, too, because he was able to practice and work out in front of scouts uh, and, and in front of agents, potentially, uh, at the slot position. And, you know, that might end up being because he's not the tallest receiver, even though he primarily played uh, wide out in his career. Uh, and so, you know, as a slot back, and he still has that route running ability, which was very evident. He has those great hands, which was also very evident in that game. Uh, I think that, that he's a guy that could open some eyes running out of that slot. Uh, and I think all that does is add to maybe the well-roundedness of how he's perceived as a receiver. Ta'anga Tu'ulima, I think, looked really good. And you mentioned his captainship uh, of that team was uh, something that is another feather in the cap, if you will. I was also really impressed with uh, some of the – linebackers and defensive linemen up front. I mean, you mentioned that the talent level was a little bit higher, I think, than a year ago, uh, particularly when you look at guys like Carlo Kemp, who ended up having that pick six that made it a game in the end out of Michigan. You look at the two BC linebackers, the two Maximilians, Max Richardson on one side and Max Roberts on the other side, and they were just playmakers all week long. Coaches were raving about them. You had the Oregon State corner, Isaiah Dunn, who lived up to some of the hype. And in this particular year where it was just so difficult just to even hold the game amid the pandemic and all of these other circumstances uh, I think it was a real victory the fact that they were able to have the game the fact that they were able to bring in the quality of players that they did uh, and that it also gave us as fans Hawaii fans that go way back with all of the goings-on at Aloha Stadium over the years whether it be UH football professional football, high school football, monster truck rallies, Bruno Mars, Michael Jackson concerts, whatever it may be. It gave us all a chance, at least within the context of football, to say aloha to Aloha Stadium. We didn't really get that while the UH football season was taking place because the announcement by the stadium authority came after the season was over. Uh, and so this was kind of an opportunity for us to symbolically, even if we couldn't be there at the stadium as fans, uh, for all of us to sort of symbolically say, all right, you know, we can put Aloha Stadium to bed, potentially. If this is, in fact, the last football game there, uh, we can now turn the page onto the next chapter, and it gave us all a chance to say goodbye. All right, we move on to the University of Hawaii men's basketball program, and they had one of the unlikeliest comebacks for a victory against the standard bearers in the Big West Conference last weekend, UC Irvine. Hawaii had lost seven straight against the Anteaters, including the first night of this back-to-back doubleheader. Uh, Hawaii rallied from 10 down in the final two minutes. They ended up winning in overtime. This was a game, Jordan, that included an 11-minute, nearly 11-minute scoring drought for Hawaii between the first and second halves. Then after that, they went through about an eight-minute field goal drought where their only points came at the free throw line. Like, it boggles the mind that they could even be in a basketball game, let alone win a basketball game under those circumstances. But when Colin Velt missed a point-blank tip-in at the end of the overtime period, Hawaii held on for the narrow victory. So uh, that also precedes now UH changing this weekend's schedule to play Cal Poly, which was a series that was supposed to take place on the mainland that got canceled. Uh, And so instead of playing UC San Diego this week, which wouldn't have counted in the standings, Hawaii is playing Cal Poly, which I think makes a, a lot of sense. So coming off of that win against Irvine, what would you say now is the state of the team in Manoa? Boy, this team's a lot of fun because it is a roller coaster ride every time they get on the court, man. I think it is <laughs> giving around going out a few more white hairs, uh, just uh, just being on the sideline for some of these. What an appropriate ending to what was a bit of an ugly game right on Saturday night. You, you mentioned those scoring droughts, and boy, that's tough to watch sometimes. 
It is tough to watch. But this has sort of become the identity, the MO of this team. They are tough as nails. They're grinders, right? Which is the, the pretty way of saying, look, they can't really score all that efficiently. So they're going to have to muck it up. They're going to have to play defense. They're going to have to make it, uh, you know, a nightmare to play against. But they, they've kind of taken that mantle, right? And they are hard as heck to play against. And we've seen that. Even the night before where they had the one point or two point loss, was it, uh, to the Ant Eaters on Friday night. And, you know, they had a shot to win the game at the mm-hmm. buzzer and they gave themselves an opportunity. And so I think that's kind of going to be the, the case going forward for this group. Like they're not going to be a, a, the most aesthetically pleasing team offensively. And they're still, I think, trying to figure out that guard rotation, right? Whether it's McClanahan, whether it's Biwali Bales trying to pair up with, with a Justin Webster and, and obviously Junior Badut on the wing and his 22 points. And boy, I mean, even Madut's game, right? He goes cold, then he goes on a run, then he nearly throws the ball away, which nearly leads to the game being thrown away. But they, they just find a way. And I think, you know, for a team that a couple of weeks ago that we were talking about, you know, what was the concern with this program? They were getting out hustled. They were getting beat up on the boards. They weren't really showing that fight. I think they've really kind of had a bit of introspection, right? And, and they've looked at themselves and said, look, this is, this is who we're going to have to be. And they've kind of taken that. And I, I applaud them for putting on the hard hat uh, because I think that's going to be the recipe. And, and, yeah, it makes sense to go play Cal Poly. We thought there may be some, some switches in the schedule. And obviously, you know, no games – are worse than playing any games at this point. But if you can get a game that obviously counts in the schedule against the Cal Poly, it's good stuff for them. And, and obviously for the Rainbow Wahine as well, we've had a few more games canceled and, and they're going to hit the road to go play the Mustangs. So, yeah, it's a, it's a team that I think will be in a lot of rock fights going forward. But, hey, if they're wins, you got to love those rock fights. A lot of clanging noises. It'll sound like an episode of Law & Order every time Hawaii takes the floor. Uh, you're right. They're going to go through those offensive lulls. I think that's just unfortunately become part of who they are. Uh, they're going to experience that because they've been experiencing that in just about every game. But I think what you saw was the maturation of at least identifying what it requires in terms of effort and inspiration out there on the floor, right? They played really, really hard, especially at the defensive end. And hey, look, this is a very young Irvine team. They got like 13 underclassmen. uh, And so they aren't the typical UC Irvine juggernaut that you see at the top of the Big West standings. That said, they're still really good and really well coached. And so for Hawaii to be able to limit them offensively the way that they did because of that effort on the defensive end of the floor, that speaks volumes. And I think that was at least – something that we questioned over the course of that four game losing streak that ended last weekend, that level of inspiration and some of these new faces and some of these, these experienced players who are maybe a little more set in their ways and used to the way other programs were doing it. It was maybe an awakening of like, all right, this is what it's going to take here under this regime and this program with this composition of players on this roster, we're going to have to bring it every single night. And it was good to see even on a night where James Jean Marie and Kazdin Jardine combined for like two points. They still found ways to contribute. Kazdin Jardine with a challenge on the would-be game-winning layup by Henry of Irvine at the end of overtime. Just the fact that Jardine made the effort play, you know, those are things you can do that may not show up in the box score, uh, but are things that are still crucial in coming up with close victories. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll see more of that. That's, that's the hope that that becomes the more consistent standard in terms of the effort brought by this Hawaii basketball team night in and night out. All right, time now for the Domino's Hawaii main topping. We're going to talk with our guy, Matt Humans of the Vegas Stats and Information Network. Uh, again, his Twitter, at Matt Humans. Let's go ahead and play that interview right now as uh, we get into the betting side of Super Bowl 55. All right, Matt, great talking with you again. How different is Super Bowl week now under these circumstances of the pandemic and whatnot compared to what usually is the case over there in Las Vegas? I don't think we know the answer to that yet because we'll see what it looks like when the, uh, the crowds show up this weekend or the lack of crowd. Um, for me, it's been the same so far because you just you spend all your time handicapping the game and breaking down the props and it's business as usual. But when we get to the weekend, typically the crowds start to pour in from California all over the country in, um, by Friday afternoon, right? And then over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it's a zoo. It gets crazy. I don't know if it's going to be like that this time. Who knows? Nobody knows. Uh, some hotels are, uh, are booking at a pretty high rate this week. Some aren't. Uh, so if I, if I base it off of New Year's Eve, I'm going to say it's going to be 50% uh, what it's been in the past because New Year's Eve is still pretty good. Some spots it was wild and crazy as always, 
other spots it was kind of dead from what I heard on the strip. Uh, where I was, it was wild and crazy. But I picked that spot for a reason. I, I think the um, – and that circuit downtown, right next to the California, if you guys haven't been there yet, you got to get to the Circus Sportsbook someday. And I know you probably haven't been there yet because nobody's doing much <laughs> traveling at this point. But the Circa uh, just opened in the fall. It's got the biggest sports book in the world. And it's uh, also got an outdoor stadium swim complex with big screens. You can watch all the games. Maybe you've seen uh, the videos on Twitter. But it's an awesome place to be. That's where I'm going to watch the game this week. That's where I was for New Year's Eve. But uh, I think the, the betting handle on the game is going to be similar to what it's been in the past and maybe another record. Because one thing, even throughout the pandemic, one thing that did not slow down was sports betting. Uh, the numbers were still strong. Obviously, there weren't many games over the summer. But when things started to pick back up, the numbers really picked up. Uh, you know, people are looking for entertainment. And uh, sports betting is not slowing down. Well, you mentioned where you're going to be watching the game. Is that usually the case? Are you usually perched up somewhere, uh, you know, maybe with a bunch of other fans? Is it usually a party type of atmosphere uh, in which you watch the game? Or are you a little more studious about your observation? Well, you know what? Typically, I'm more studious because on the weekends, I like to watch games somewhat in isolation. I don't like to be surrounded by a bunch of drunken fools who are screaming about every play. And I like to, you know, study what's going on when you're watching it instead of uh, yapping with your friend next to you who's drunk and trying to talk your ear off. So, But the Super Bowl is a little bit different because we've already done all our work for the season, right? It's the very end. You've got all your bets in. you got everything in. I still watch the game and tune out as much of the noise as possible. But let's face it, it's the last game of the season. And uh, like I said, all of the haze in the barn, so to speak, and you're just hoping the game turns out. Uh, for the best in terms of uh, making a profit. But no, I'll go out and have a good time this week. I just want want to make sure that Jordan doesn't have his typical Super Bowl party because Dr. Anthony Fauci has said, no parties this week, Jordan, so make sure to listen. It's usually the place to be. It definitely, the heli household is usually the place to be. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're scaling it back. We're scaling it back. We're following all local and, and national guidelines, so uh, we're, we're not looking to get in any trouble. Um, I know you've been burning the midnight oil, Matt, and, and breaking this thing down. So let's dive into the game. Who do, you, who do you like in this one? I like the Chiefs, but it's not a strong opinion. Here's one thing about the Super Bowl. A lot of people will ask you, and I've been asked 100 times this week, who do you like in the game? And I'd love to have a strong opinion and be real decisive and say, uh, this is who you got to bet, and here's why. And I was that way really in the Alabama-Ohio State game because I really liked Alabama in that game. And fortunately, it turned out that way. I, I like the Chiefs, but I don't love the Chiefs. And one of the problems is going to be the offensive line. Uh, they're, they're really depleted on the offensive line. And that could be an issue. And it could be a serious issue this week. Because you've got both your starting offensive tackles out. Aside that, really, they're missing three starters on the offensive line. And essentially playing with a, a patchwork line with a, a few backups in there. And that could be a problem against the Tampa Bay defensive front that's really good. They attacked the quarterbacks. They've got 48 sacks on the season. Uh, they were all over Aaron Rodgers last week. So the Bucs have done a good job of uh, getting after quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm concerned, too, about Patrick Mahomes' mobility because we know he's got a toe injury. His foot's not the same, so he's not going to be able to get out and run around like he typically has in the past. Uh, so those are the concerns Anytime you make – any bet or pick a side on any game, you're going to have some concerns. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the Chiefs basically because I just can't believe that the old man is going to outshoot Mahomes on this stage. And Tom Brady, let's face it, for all the mystique and the magic and uh, people want to believe he's got a rabbit's foot stuck somewhere, he uh, was not very sharp against the Saints. Um, he, he actually threw three interceptions in the second half against the Packers. If the Saints – aren't minus four in turnover margin. Uh, the Buccaneers don't escape New Orleans with the win. In fact, Jared Cook's fumble was huge. Even though Drew Brees wasn't very good that day, Brees is old too, and he's worn out and injured. He didn't have anything left. Uh, the Saints still were set up to uh, go ahead two scores if Jared Cook doesn't fumble that ball. So the Buccaneers were on thin ice in that game, even with uh, a plus four turnover margin in the end. And uh, then you go to Green Bay. Could the Packers have coached or played any worse than they did last week? So I kind of feel like the Saints gave away the game to the, Chief, to the Buccaneers. The Packers gave away the game 
to the Buccaneers. The Bucs have been lucky. And uh, I go back to the first meeting between these teams in the regular season. I had the Buccaneers plus three and a half. That was one of the luckiest covers I've had all year. Uh, they were plus three and a half. They were down 27-10 in the fourth quarter. That ended up a three-point game. It felt like a three-touchdown game because uh, Tom Brady had two late TD passes, got in the back door. They lose the game 27-24. It was not that close. Total domination for the, from the Chiefs for two and a half quarters. And I've watched that game four times. And the more I watch it, the more I say I, I, I can't side with the Bucks in this game. And i, I got to side with the young gun, uh, Mahomes, over the old man who really hasn't been that sharp. And uh, that's the way I'm going to go. But, again, I say it's not my strongest opinion because I'm really concerned about the Chiefs' offensive line and the Bucks' ability to get on top of Mahomes. I think in the end he's going to make a couple more big plays than Tom Brady does. He's, he's just uh, – Mahomes has got the magic too, right? It's not just Brady. I think this is going to be a shootout. Uh, I'm going to go something like 34-30 Chiefs. I was thinking, you know, 31-27, 34-30. I'm going to go with uh, 34-30. Um, it's really remarkable, you guys. You think about last week, last year's Super Bowl. And Patrick Mahomes was not that good for three and a half quarters in that game. I don't know if you've watched it recently, but I, I kind of forgot. I went back and watched the tape a couple nights ago. and. Um, the Chiefs trailed the 49ers 20 to 10 with seven minutes to go, and they were backed up third and 15 on their own 35-yard line. How the hell do you win that game by 11 points, right? How do, how do you even win that game? The 49ers completely had a meltdown in the final seven minutes, and the Chiefs rallied to win 31-20, and you see the score, and you remember, you know, how, how the finish and how great Mahomes was at the end, but he wasn't very good for the first three quarters or so, so – uh, that's why I say I like the Chiefs in this game, but I don't love the Chiefs. No, I think I think those are really good points. So you you would like the over here. Uh, you're predicting a score maybe in the 60s. Totals like 56 and a half. Um, three three and a half seems to be the line. I think it's a three and a half now. The Chiefs obviously favored. So you feel comfortable enough with the with that line? Uh, not really. I'm I'm actually playing over 56 for a small bet. Um, Probably only about a few hundred on it. Nothing, nothing major. I don't, I don't like to play totals a whole lot anyway. But 56 is the best number out on the market, and uh, we'll play over 56. The way the rules are geared in the NFL right now, it's it's really tough for a game with two good quarterbacks to stay under 56. And um, that's why, if, even if you think back to last year's Super Bowl, that game landed 51. It looked like it wasn't going to get to 40. Uh, so. I have to play – I have a lean over 56. I'll play it for, like I said, a small bet. I'm going to play the Chiefs on the money line. Uh, typically what happens in Super Bowls is a lot of people like to bet the underdog on the money line, so you get a cheaper price, a much cheaper price than you typically get on the favorite. So in a game like this, uh, the Chiefs would typically be around minus 180, 185 if they're three or three-and-a-half point favorites. You're going to be able to get the Chiefs at minus 150, I think, by Sunday. Uh, so what I'll probably do is play the Chiefs at minus 150. And um, you always have live betting options, too. So then I got the Chiefs at minus 150 just to win the game. And if the Chiefs have a lead at some point, I could actually hedge my position or shoot for a middle and hopefully on live wagering take something like Buccaneers plus seven. You might be able to win both ways because I do think it's going to be a close game. Uh, like I said, I, I'm thinking a, a four-point game, something like that, three- or four-point game. Tom Brady's, each of his first four Super Bowls were decided by exactly three points. Each of his next two Super Bowls were decided by exactly four points. This guy doesn't get blown out. He doesn't blow out the opposition in Super Bowls. And just, uh, it feels like, I don't know what you guys, I'd like to hear your opinions on this game, but to me it just feels like with two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, this can be the greatest quarterback matchup in Super Bowl history. We're not going to see one team run away and hide. I just got a feeling it's going to come down to the wire and it's going to be dramatic. Yeah, I think there's too much pride in each of these quarterbacks' game. Uh, I think that they have the ability to keep it close. So I agree with that observation there. What I find fascinating about the two weeks between the last game, the, the conference championship weekend, and the Super Bowl is just how opinions seem to shift, especially among some of the talking heads out there, right? I think the immediate uh, line of thinking was, oh, the Chiefs got this. You know, they're the defending Super Bowl champs. Patrick Mahomes is something we've never seen before, 
all that stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden week two comes around and you start hearing almost as if uh, people are convincing themselves that the Buccaneers actually have a chance to win. Does that manifest itself in the way the, the, the betting uh, moves? Is, is that sort of some, a trend that you see among betters as well? That's a good point. I definitely think it does. I think the media and uh, you said the talking heads, there's more talking heads than ever out there now, right? We're three of them. Um, <laughs> there are, but every show you flip on, everybody's got an opinion on the Super Bowl, right? Radio, TV, whatever. But the media, you're right, tends to spin things one way. And then uh, with two weeks, we'll tend to spin things the other way. I think you're going to get, you're going to get a lot more Tom Brady uh, type of spin as we get closer to the game and the public's going to believe Brady's going to do it again. And I think uh, that's why you're going to see more bucks action show up closer to the weekend because yeah, I do believe the, the media tends to influence the general public a little bit more. The sharper betters don't get, you know, they're not going to get influenced one way or another, but I think the, the public will, if it's out there, I think the public's going to start to buy into the Tom Brady narrative, so to speak. And that, uh, uh, I think you're going to see a pretty good amount of Tampa Bay action by the weekend. So far, it's been mostly Chiefs bets, uh, big bets that have shown up at Vegas Sportsbooks. But I've seen a couple big ones on the Buccaneers, and I think we'll see more uh, coming this weekend. I mean, I'll be honest. I said I like the Chiefs a little, but not a lot. If somebody wants to make a case for betting the Buccaneers plus three and a half, which that number's out there too, I'm not going to argue against that because that's a good number. And like I said, I think it's going to be a close game. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting to kind of see how that shift tends to take place. And I don't think that that's uh, just exclusive to this Super Bowl. I, I think that's probably something that tends to happen over the course of two weeks because you're right. The, the media almost gets kind of bored with the initial narrative. And so they have to freshen it up, if you will. And that kind of changes the whole the whole discussion. Um, all right. Well, we love asking you about some of your favorite prop bets, uh, some other bets associated with the Super Bowl. So uh, if I may give you uh, the floor as to uh, maybe the top two or three prop bets that have uh, stood out to you here so far. All right. When we get done, I have to get your picks on the game too, because I didn't get your picks yet. So uh, I've got a, a bunch of props. I've, I've spent hours going through these props and uh, my girlfriend's ticked off because I've pretty much ignored her for the past <laughs> week. I got a lot of work to do. I'll see you a couple days after the Super Bowl. But uh, I, I went through props from about five different sports books. I got about 20 of them circled. I got about eight bets made so far. Uh, you know, I've been trying to find the best numbers on a lot of these, too. You, you have to shop when you're betting props because uh, the prices can be vastly different from one book to another. I'll give you an example. One prop I bet was the first score of the game uh, being a field goal or safety. It's not going to be a safety. But basically, you're betting on the first score of the game being a field goal instead of a touchdown. Uh, what would you guys think that should be priced as? You think it's more of a 50-50 thing? You're going to have slightly more, slightly more often is going to be a touchdown. I'd say uh, slightly more often. Okay, I would so, agree with that. Yeah, slightly more often a touchdown. The first time these teams played, the Chiefs scored first on a field goal. Not that that's going to happen this time. But I like to take a big plus price on this prop because I agree it's slightly more likely. But in this case, it's priced uh, better than two to one that it's going to be a touchdown at the South Point Sportsbook. So I got plus 190 on the field goal, which I think is uh, an advantage price because some other books are offering plus 130, plus 150, 160. So, I mean, that's an example. It's um, That's an example of a – an advantage price I took on a prop like that at plus 190 because that was the best price in town. And I, I think it's maybe 60% that the first score is going to be a touchdown. And that's a, that's a pretty good price to take on that prop. I'll give you some other ones. I took Tyreek Hill receiving yards over 92 and a half. That opened 90 and a half at the Westgate. I knew it was going to go up. You look at Tyreek Hill. I've got the numbers here. I'll look them up real quick. So Hill in last year's Super Bowl, he was relatively held in check until the fourth quarter when he had that 44-yard uh, catch on third and 15 to really turn the game around. But he finished that game with nine catches for 105 yards. Uh, the first time around between these teams this year, Hill had 13 receptions for 269. Almost all of that was in the first half. In the playoffs, he had 172 yards against Buffalo, 110 against Cleveland. So that's one prop that I like, Tyreek Hill over 92 and a half yards. I think that's a, that's a pretty good play. And that number is going up, by the way. Some books have already pushed that number up around 
100 or 102. Uh, Antonio Brown receptions under four. Uh, Brown's got a knee injury. He still has not practiced this week. I saw he was going to sit out practice uh, probably on Wednesday too. Brady targeted Brown frequently late in this regular season, but he had only a total of only three receptions in the Bucks' first two playoff games. He missed the NFC title game with the knee injury. I think he's unlikely to be a major part of the game plan this week. Uh, and the Bucks have so many receiving options. He's got to get to five catches to beat you on that prop. I think that's uh, unlikely. I played Antonio Brown receptions under f- under four at minus 110. So you got Tyreek Hill over his receiving yards, Brown under his receptions. I played Tom Brady a touchdown pass in the third quarter. Yes, plus 140. And I connected that with Brady in a TD, with a TD pass in the fourth quarter at plus 110. So for those who don't know, plus 140 means you bet 100. You win 140 if it hits. And uh, – in the first meeting, Brady had two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. All you need is Brady to throw one TD pass in the second half to make a profit on this prop if you bet the third quarter and the fourth quarter. And the Westgate Superbook is one of the few books around that's got both quarters priced as a plus, so you don't have to lay, you know, 110 in the fourth quarter, and that's a key to this. You want a plus price on both sides because uh, Brady's going to throw a touchdown pass in the second half. I would be really surprised if he doesn't. If he throws one on the third and the fourth, you got a big score on this prop. But you got to play the third and the fourth. Don't just pick one and uh, try to guess which quarter he's going to throw a TD pass. Uh, will the game be tied after 0-0? Again, I don't think any team's going to run away and hide either team like we saw in the first meeting with uh, the Chiefs when they got up 27-10 and could have coasted a big win. This is basically an even money prop. Will the game be tied after 0-0? Will it be 7-7, 10-10, whatever? Uh, I like this because I'm going to bet against a blowout here. I think the most likely script is a tight game, back-and-forth type of game between Brady and Mahomes. They're going to trade shots, and I think we're going to have a dramatic ending. So that's kind of a cool prop. I just took uh, even money on. Touchdown passes by Patrick Mahomes over two. Minus 200. Now, you got to lay $200 to win 100 on this. So he's got to get three TD passes for you to win the bet. But uh, I think that's pretty likely he does. Actually, in the first meeting between these teams, Mahomes 37 for 49, 462 yards, three touchdowns. And the Chiefs scored in each of the first three quarters. Like I said, they let off the gas in the fourth. Uh, Mahomes could have put, put up even bigger numbers against the Bucks the first time around if Andy Reid did not sit on a lead. Reed's not going to sit on a lead against Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. You would be a fool to do that. I feel like the worst-case scenario for Mahomes is two TD passes. So the worst you would do here is push and get your money back, and I think you got a pretty good shot to win this. At the same time, will Mahomes throw an interception, plus 155? I took the plus price on this on yes. Like I said, he rallied to win last year's game, so uh, it's easy to forget he wasn't very good in the first three-and-a-half quarters. He threw two interceptions in last year's Super Bowl. The Chiefs trailed that game by 10 with seven minutes left, like we talked about. Tampa Bay defense is going to blitz Mahomes often. I, I think that that's the only way you can rattle this guy. you got to pressure him into mistakes and high-risk throws, and the Bucks put pressure on the quarterback. Mahomes is a gunslinger. He's not afraid to put a ball up for grabs. So I took plus 155 on him to, um, him to throw a pick. Like I said, the, the Bucks defense did a pretty good job putting pressure on Breeze and Rodgers, and I think it'll be the same thing uh, with Mahomes. Also, more points scored in the second half and overtime, minus one and a half. I like this one, too, because I think these teams are going to take a little time to get warmed up, and uh, the second, it's more likely the second half, I believe, turns into a shootout. And not that the first playoff meeting between these teams means anything, really. It doesn't really apply to this game, but the only time we've seen these guys – square off in the playoffs was in the 2019 AFC title game. 14 points were scored in the first half and 54 after the half. And if you look at Brady in his first nine Super Bowls with the Patriots, he produced a total of three points in the first quarter in nine Super Bowls. So he's a slow starter for some odd reason in these games. That was with the Patriots. Maybe it'll be different with the Bucs. Uh, the Chiefs have had, shown a habit of falling behind in playoff games the past two years. So I think there are a lot of signs that point to a, a slower starting game and a shootout in the second half. So bet on more points in the second half and overtime. 
You could also play over three and a half second half touchdowns, which I think is a pretty good bet at even money. Uh, well, I, was, I also played over three and a half sacks. Uh, I think you're going to see 80 plus pass attempts in this game. And uh, Tom Brady is as mobile as a mannequin at this point. Uh, there's a good chance he's going to get dropped a couple times. Mahomes gets dry. I think there's a decent chance you'll see five sacks or so in this game. In fact, the, uh, the Buccaneers dropped Aaron Rodgers, I think it was five times, which was really surprising because he wasn't sacked the previous week. So over three and a half sacks. I've got a lot more, but uh, I don't want to babble too much and put your listeners to sleep. No way. See, this works out much better than the old radio show because people were driving around in their cars, having to pull over, you know, get a paper and pen out at work or something and quickly scribble this stuff. On the podcast, they can just rewind, you know, and play it back and write it down. So this, this works out much better than when we used to have you on the old radio show and do it like live, live. Uh, so, it, so it's great there. I, I'll give you my take on it before we get you out of here, Matt. Uh, I'm with you. I like the Chiefs. I don't love the Chiefs in this scenario. I just think that offense, kind of the way you put it, is inevitable in a lot of ways, just the way it was last season when they were down, you know, 10 and ended up scoring three touchdowns in the last six and a half minutes or whatever it was. And we just see that over and over again. I don't quite think the Bucks have enough to keep them at bay. You could argue that San Francisco defense last year is better than this Tampa Bay defense. I think they're both really good. Uh, but if they were able to finally break through against that San Fran defense last year, I got to imagine they can figure out a way to get it done against this Tampa Bay defense. But that pass rush does make me a little nervous. It makes me feel like the Giants-Patriots Super Bowls, where you have this high-flying offense. You even want to go back to 07 when they had Randy Moss and all those guys. And the kryptonite was an unbelievable pass rush. And then you get Jason Pierre-Paul, who's got experience going against legendary quarterbacks. Beat the Vea back is huge in the middle. Shaq Barrett. And so I think that could be the thing that, that tips the scales in the Bucks' favor if they do win. But I, I just I – just, I can't bet against Mahomes in that offense the way this thing is going. It's not like the defense is a slouch either, uh, you know, what they've been doing in the postseason. So, yeah, I, I got, the, I got the, the Chiefs, but not by a lot either. I tend to think a little more cosmically about this because I'm just thinking Tom Brady's going to his 10th Super Bowl, and it just so happens that this Super Bowl is being played on the home field of the team that Tom Brady is playing for. And it's like could more of the circumstances karmically be lining up for Tom Brady to succeed here, right? You mentioned the injuries on the Kansas City offensive line. And so I, I just – I kind of tend to think that it just feels like it's meant to be for Brady to, to pull this thing off. That said, though, what sort of brings me back – and this is kind of a weird twisting around that I'm doing here uh, – but I do think it's going to come down maybe to the last drive or two. Uh, and both these quarterbacks have obviously proven capable of, of being the heroes in those kinds of moments. And so what can differentiate the two – and to me, I start thinking about who they're throwing the ball to. And I trust the targets of Patrick Mahomes in those situations a little bit more. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, those guys uh, just seem to be a little bit more dependable as opposed to Evans, Godwin. I mean, you know, Gronk is there and certainly he's proven himself. But it just strikes me as Kansas City's pass catchers. Uh, and and the, the weapons around Patrick Mahomes are a little more reliable. So if it comes down to the nitty-gritty and the last drive or two, that's why, even though I think the planets are aligning here for Tom Brady, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards KC. Is that enough of a pretzel that I've twisted myself into for that I was one? Say, that was kind of a curveball you threw there because <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say the stars are aligning for Tom Brady, so I have to go with uh, Brady and the Bucks, and then you'd circle back and yeah. – up with the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just no, my I, own. It's my own lack of confidence and courage to make any kind of bold call. <laughs> I understand completely. I like I said, I wish I could uh, make a bold statement about this game or a bold <laughs> prediction about this game. But like I said, I like the Chiefs, but I don't love them in the game. I think it's going to be close, a lot like you said. And I'm certainly uh, certainly aware of the fact that the stars do seem to be aligning for Tom Brady, and I'm not going to fall off my uh, fall off my chair and be stunned if Brady's the one with his hands up. Uh, you know, Sunday night winning his seventh Super Bowl in 10 appearances. Nothing's going to surprise me with this game. I think it's awesome uh, that we have these two guys facing off on this stage like this because uh, you guys have seen a lot of Super Bowls like I have. I think this is the greatest Super Bowl matchup of all time and a Super uh, the greatest quarterback matchup of all time in a Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, when we look back in 20 or 30 years, I was talking with a couple guys about this last week. You know, we look back in 2050 if we make it that far. Uh, we might say that uh, 
20, the 2021 Super Bowl, Brady and Mahomes was the all-time greatest, you know, quarterback matchup. Uh, Mahomes, for his legacy, has got to beat Brady, though. You can't lose to a 43-year-old right. quarterback. You can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Brady's 43. Patrick Mahomes' dad is 50. Right. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I think that there's some perspective that uh, applies if, if Patrick Mahomes somehow doesn't uh, pull this thing off. Uh, Matt, uh, always a pleasure. Uh, we really appreciate uh, all of your input. Uh, I know our listeners absolutely dig it. It's one of their uh, favorite episodes each and every time going back to the live radio show days. Uh, so have fun this week. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I agree with you. I think we can be thankful that at least we got this game to enjoy here as sports fans uh, in such a tumultuous time. Uh, throughout the country and the rest of the world so uh thanks a lot man have a good week and uh and good luck with all of your bets hey i appreciate you guys thanks a lot i guess we'll catch up maybe sometime around march madness right that sounds good okay right around the corner all right thanks once again to matt humans again his twitter at matt humans uh check him out he's a good follow and always a good guy to talk to we appreciate his time all right time now for the post game Best and Worst, brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services information. Let's start with our best. I'll start this time. My best uh, I got to give a shout out to a local guy who's going to my favorite franchise. That's right, Jordan Yamamoto out of St. Louis School, who's previously with the Miami Marlins, uh, the pitcher who really had a good start with the Marlins before things kind of petered off. He has been involved in, in, in a transaction which has sent him to the Mets organization. So I'm very excited. Very simply put, my best is the fact that this is the latest in what is kind of a, dare I say, lineage of Hawaii-born pitchers that have uh, gone on to do some damage in the Mets organization, namely Sid Fernandez, Ron Darling. It's really, really cool to see. And hopefully Jordan Yamamoto can be the next great one. Yeah. They're like the adopted, you know, home away from home, right? You throw Benny Agbayani in there. I know not a pitcher, but a guy who had a lot of success um, there in the big apple. So a St. Louis grad traded from Miami one down. We'll see if there's another St. Louis grad who gets traded from Miami in the coming weeks, maybe with Tua Tango Vailoa, but no. Awesome for Jordan there, and uh, I'm excited to go see him play for your Mets. I think that's a good fresh start for him. My best is going to be uh, a trio of Baldwin grads. I'll start with the first two who are actually doing something this weekend. Uh, Dat Wen, 2001 Baldwin graduate, and Zach Zane, 2008 Baldwin graduate. My classmate. That's right, Zach Zane. <laughs> played football with that guy. Went to school. Went to like elementary school with him. They're going to be fighting at the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships Knuckle Mania this weekend in Florida. Those guys are nuts. Those guys are absolutely nuts. Uh, but that's fighting for like the world title at 135. Zach Zane's fighting some 38-year-old dude at 155 pounds. It's pay-per-view. If you want to go check it out, you can go to like the Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship website. Um, it's it's a lot. I got to say, man, it's it's it, it's everything you would think in terms of uh, a bit of barbarism. Uh, but those two guys are going out there and they're trying to get it done. So uh, shout out to them. And also shout out to my little brother, Trent. Uh, 25th birthday this Friday, the hey. fifth, so the uh, big 2-5 on 2-5. So uh, happy birthday, bro. Oh, he's only 30 years younger than the Super Bowl. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, yeah, is there a more apt name for an event than Knuckle Mania? Because it really involves a level of crazy, as you're alluding to, to get into uh, any kind of ring or cage to bare-knuckle beef. Like, that's just that's, – that's a whole nother level, man. That's a whole nother that's, – that's stripped down to its pure form. All right, we switch over to the worst, my worst – uh, courtside Karen did you see this thing between the uh, Lakers and the Hawks you had hecklers on the sideline and it happened to be uh, basically this married couple with a guy who's like 60 and a woman who's like 25 I think their last name is like Carlos or something and uh, anyway she took to social media and she looks very how do I say manufactured in terms of her physical presentation I'm not trying to shame anybody but just saying something that's very objective uh, and she basically claimed that LeBron James uh, called her the b-word and said all of these really nasty things um, LeBron at least according to video that was looked over by Bleacher Report and some other entities the only thing that they could make out was that he had told her husband the 60 year old wealthy 
I don't know if he's an internet guy or what, but he's pretty buffed up. And I guess LeBron called him an old steroid ass or something like that. And that was maybe the, the worst that at least could be read on video. And so it was very much like all of these past Karen incidents, right? Where uh, it was overblown from the perspective of Karen, right? Her account was something that was not necessarily accurately depicted and happened to be a description of someone of color on the other side. And so it's a claim of abuse that wasn't actually at that heightened level. Uh, and so it's my worst because that was just a clown show put on by courtside Karen. Uh, but it's also my best because one of the funniest things was LeBron's account afterwards where he basically said, I thought it was a father and daughter at first until she kept referring to him as husband. I was stunned. And I was like, all right, LeBron. Usually his passive aggressive subtweeting has been something that uh, we've criticized. But that one right there, that was really well done. Yeah. And uh, allegedly 25. I think we're going to go with <laughs> there. It's just... Uh, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. And she, the very next day, she kind of walked it back a little bit. Yeah. She was a little softer on the social media. I think she kind of realized probably wasn't going to win that one. The buzz probably may have worn off too at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good point. <laughs> All right. What's your worst? Dan didn't though. <laughs> uh, but my worst in this, also not really that bad. Um, it, it, it's mainly a personal worst, but uh, congratulations to our guy, uh, Colton Wong, the University of Hawaii grad a former star obviously Kamehameha Big Island uh reports are he's signing a two-year deal free agent after his contract uh wasn't picked up by the Cardinals he is staying in division uh signing with the Milwaukee Brewers two years 18 million dollar deal with a third year option the two-time gold glover uh those are the reports I'm just I mean Colton first the Cardinals which I know wasn't your choice they, were, they drafted you but now you're going to the, the, the Brewers I'm a Cubs fan Colton I I, I want to cheer for you that, yeah, so that's why it's my worst. We, everybody knows that I'm a Cubs fan. So, so I was hoping he was going to come to Chicago. Uh, gotta, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I thought he would go to Chicago as well. We just got to get all the local guys on the Mets. I, I just feel like that's That's, that's fine with now. me. Yeah. That is fine with me. They're not in the division. You know, I just, it's, it's just a different division. Would have been fine, Colton. Yeah, Cubs would have been a nice fit. I, I was a little surprised that that didn't uh, come to fruition there. But, uh, yeah, good for Colton. Uh, obviously, he uh, was going to find a home uh, and uh, hopefully a, a franchise that covets his abilities because uh, his abilities are pretty great. All right, that's our best and worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii Maui. Own Maui, operated for Maui's people. Thanks once again to Matt Humans for jumping on with us. Hit us up on Twitter, at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. We'll do it again next week, Jordan. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Sorry you can't throw your vintage heli house party. Yeah, maybe we'll just set up a Zoom, like a live stream, you know, like a webcam. Let's I'm down with that. Yeah. Instagram just, live, uh, baby. Yeah. yeah, everybody's doing it. <laughs> All right. Have Including a good one. Courtside Karen. <laughs>